You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Monday, May 2nd, 2020. This is episode number 270. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's favorite grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 30,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. We're talking about a Hampton Gardens gives away 1,000 seed packets in less than four hours. Red Man and his National Cannabis Party, a fatal shooting in Tarzana, Schumer's top aide talks next steps, President's son suggests legalization in Nicaragua, states want research on high-potency cannabis, Colorado is losing market share as other states legalize, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in aft on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Where's my gong? There we go. I love that gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lameet. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. Rico, I can't wait for your headline. What you got? Oh, yeah. Mine's coming from Hip Hop DX. Redman wants to challenge the government with his National Cannabis Party. We are not afraid. This one's coming from Mark Ellibert. In an exclusive interview with Hip Hop DX Saturday, legendary New Jersey recording artist and cannabis lifestyle aficionado Reggie Noble, a.k.a. Redman, said his National Cannabis Party is gearing up to put politicians in office with a party platform few level, uh, a few levels higher than the status quo. For those of us in the industry for a while, there's a few celebrities that always get the green carpet laid out for them as true ambassadors of the culture, the ones who've increased visibility for good reasons, that have helped get medicine in the hands of those who need it the most. For every Justin Bieber or Flaming Lips story we begrudgingly cover here on NewsHour, there's a Willie Nelson who carried the fight for the people for the pl- uh, the fight of the people for the plant on his back with him every city that uh, and toured for decades. A Cheech Marin or Tommy Chong who's fringe cult classic comedy films evolved into a generational think piece laying 
political foundations for the modern legalization movement. If there's anybody who can take pop culture activism to the next level with deep musical roots like Willie and a cult comedic delivery like Cheech and Chong, build a political party campaign using mass communication to focus on delivering vetted information, education, and access to opportunity for underdeserved communities most in need. There are few people that have fit that role better than Redman himself. If you've been to any of the bigger industry conventions over the last few years, he's almost always in attendance and surprisingly never pushing products, and that's by design. Per the article, Redman's bigger plans has bigger plans for the NCP to work in conjunction with The Dab Roast, a show he's executive producer and director of where celebrities take dab hits while answering serious questions. He said he'll be using the show as an educational platform like the world's never seen before. Here's what he said to Hip Hop DX. The reason why you've never seen a Redman product, a Redman vape pen, a Redman strain, anything, because I've been holding my brand for bigger purpose, which is the NCP, the National Cannabis Party. And what we're doing is we are about giving the plant back to the people. We're about the structure in this cannabis industry. We're about education for the people, don't matter who it is, black, white, or green. If you are an alien and you need education, we are about having the right platform to deliver that to you. Some of you may remember him launching the National Cannabis Party um, January 2021 uh, with a stated mission to help educate the masses and let people know that there's more to cannabis than just recreational side. And a year and a half later, they've co-authored the Cannabis Community Reinvestment Act, the CCRA for New York. That'll require MSOs to create community uh, reinvestment plans in communities disproportionately impacted by prohibition as a rite of passage to operate in the state. It's now uh, New York State Senate Bill S8738, and you can track its progress online as it moves toward becoming law. Riding high off the bill's acceptance and promotion by local tri-state politicians, Redman is now asking uh, traditional party-affiliated politicians to meet the NCP in the middle or move the fuck out of the way. Red wants to stop empty legalization promises from both sides of the aisle, and he's willing to do whatever it takes to move the needle forward, even if it means going head-to-head with some of them. Here's the thing. If you're standing in on the sidelines complaining and not doing anything, then you're going to be pissed at it all the time. I'm part of a platform that's registered with the, with the Federal Elections Commission, the FEC, meaning we're federally approved. So we're very clear here. There's a Republican Party, there's a Democratic Party, and there's a first of its kind ever in history, the National Cannabis Party, meaning I could put someone in the president's chair, and I will. Even though we probably won't be seeing any NCP candidates vying for the 47th presidential nod come 2024, with the country currently divided politically, cannabis being a hot-button issue on the, um, that nobody on the right or left can seem to figure out, maybe he's really onto something and we'll, be, uh, we'll begin to see bipartisan support for some of the NCP's ideas on a federal level. Third-party politicians uh, in politics got to begin somewhere, and I'd venture to say the climate's ripe for new voices and ideas coming from folks who... Uh, never chose to lie about inhaling or understand the industry from a bottom-up perspective and can speak to voters in a language they understand. Admittedly, I thought this NCP thing was just a product marketing gimmick the first time I heard it, Um, but it it has been a big PR win for them in New York last month, and the thing looks like it just might be growing wings. The Tea Party was once a small group of anti-tax libertarians and uh, hard-right-leaning Republicans with a deep hatred for all things Barack Obama. For better or worse, they ended up shaping the mainstream views for modern conservatives, eventually paving the way for Donald Trump to take office in 2016, even though nothing they claimed to stand for would accurately describe 45. It really makes you wonder, how far can the NCP actually take their movement? Or how high? This is Rico Lamita, the dopest dad on the street. 
for the State of Cannabis News Hour, and I'd love to hear the rest of y'all's thoughts on Redman and the NPC's potential to become a political force to be reckoned with. When I was reading their mission, it I thought I was reading the mission of care. It's it was so perfectly aligned. I just I really love this. Um, we've got Nicole up from the audience. Nicole, did you want to weigh in? Yeah, um, I'm. I'm uh, thank you for this article, Rico. Um, good morning, everyone. I'm working with Red Man and the National Cannabis Party to establish a state committee here in Nevada. They've already established a state committee in Georgia. It requires a certain amount of signatures in order to get a nominee on a ballot. Um, their intention is not to um, to change your political affiliation since um, so many people are rooted in staying Republican or Democrat. The, the point is to bring awareness um, to those politicians and where they stand on cannabis um, and making sure that we're picking people uh, candidates based on their stance when it comes to cannabis, since it's overwhelmingly um, wants to be approved, whether regardless of your political affiliation, um, most people want to see cannabis legalized, especially for medical use. So that's that. I just wanted to say that we're not trying to get people to join the National Cannabis Party and, and leave their political affiliation as much as we're just trying to bring awareness to these politicians and where they stand on cannabis issues. Thank you for that uh, um, clarification, Nicole. And uh, that's also why I, I compared them to the Tea Party. Uh, they can be greatly influential on the right or the left, and they can move people forward and possibly become influential on a, on a higher office level pretty and I, soon. And I, and I also want to shout out um, Safita Artis, who is the president of um, National Cannabis Party. Red Man is the co-founder as well. Um, but uh, Safita does a lot of the background work, and, and he'll tell you um, when it comes to um, who's doing the work for the NCP? It's it's definitely being led by a black woman. So just wanted to shout her out as well. Love that. Thank you so much, Rico, for this uh, story. Uh, good morning, everyone. I'm excited. I am really excited because, like Rico said, the, the Tea Party was very influential in shaping the platform for the Republicans. So this this party can also be influential in shaping the platform for both both parties. But I think they'll be more successful with the Democrats. But at any rate, the, but the important thing is to pick candidates who have a proven track record in supporting cannabis. Know that, Dr., that President Biden said that he was anti-cannabis just as recent as one year before the primaries in 2020. So make sure they have a proven track record of already supporting cannabis, not just giving lip service to get elected. And I'm done speaking. Redman wants them to be a consumer. And I agree it's about time. And Jason and I kind of disagree on the uh, the strength of the cannabis voting block. I personally experienced how powerful the cannabis voting block can be, especially in off-year elections. Uh, but I think this is a brilliant idea. We've got also Steve up from the audience. Oh. Steve, did you want to weigh in? Yeah, no. Uh, actually, you know, uh, sitting here, you know, thinking about this, what was just said, and you know, over the last, I don't know, at least five years of my existence, I've completely abandoned a political party. And uh, sign me up. Uh, talking about some ethics, some some real world shit right there. You know, red man, you go, bro. I'm, you got, I'll grow behind you every day of the week, bro. I got 
I'll, like I said, I'll grow behind you every day of the week. And what a political party. Let's get this rocking and rolling, folks. Let's get these petitions signed. Let's do the hard work. And uh, Nicole, if you need somebody in California hitting the streets with petitions, I'm here. Me and my son, hand in hand, hitting them streets. No problem. Thank you guys so much. If you want more you, information or how to support, thank you, Stephen. If you want information on how to support the National Cannabis Party, please visit us at nationalcannabisparty.org. Will do 110%. Thank you, Rico, how much, for that how much, story. How much money has much the money. National Cannabis Party raised, and how much do they expect to spend in this midterm election as well as in the upcoming presidential election? N- numbers have not been confirmed, Jason, um, but they are raising funds. So they, it is it is ongoing. Um, the, the more people that find out about the National Cannabis Party, the more people want to support. I love it. Let's keep it moving. So coming up next is the mink coat wearing private jet hopping Emerald Cup judging industry's longest continuously running retailer who will call you out if you try to bring boof to the sesh. You know who it is. Jason Beck, my partner in crime. What you got for us this morning? Oh, yeah. Good morning, Rico. Thank you so much. Happy Monday, everybody. And if you don't know, this is the best day of the week because this is the day of the week that kicks your ass in gear. All right. But nonetheless, I have a very sad story to report on today. And so trigger warnings for all you softies out there. One killed in a shooting at a Tarzana dispensary. A shooting at a, at a cannabis dispensary in Tarzana, that's in the valley for anyone that doesn't know, left one man dead, police said. The shooting took place at about 1230 in the afternoon on the 18,000 block of Ventura Boulevard, according to Officer Cruz of the Los Angeles Police Department. When officers arrived, the victim, a man believed to be in his mid-30s, was inside the business suffering from a gunshot wound. He was declared dead at the scene by the Los Angeles Fire Department. No arrests have been made. That's probably because, you know, I guess I'm not going to say. And police say they're looking for two men who they believe were involved. Tarzana resident Maria Harris identified the victim as her 28-year-old son, Brian Garcia, who was a regular customer of the dispensary. She says in a quote, my son had a good heart. He was a good kid. She said he, he really was. That was my firstborn baby. I don't understand why God took him from me. I don't know what I'm going to do next. I'm really broken in pieces and I'm lost right now. I can't even think straight. Police have not released many details of Garcia's death except to say that he was fatally shot during an armed robbery. Um, and so this is just even more the reason why why the industry really needs to get their shit together. We need to fucking band together as, as one solid unit. We need to pass safe banking so these criminals don't see us as cash cows. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I don't have to keep on beating the drum that this doesn't really have anything to do with safe banking, man. Um, I know people are trying to continuously make that connection, but safe banking gets passed. You're still going to have people killed in robberies. You're still going to have. Uh, you you a, still a, may, but this may not have happened, and we wouldn't know. It may still happen if it didn't. It may. It may. You're creating it may a, straw, a straw man argument right off the bat. It's, it's not man. a straw it man may, argument. Any, anything that lowers the risk of carrying cash is something that's going to benefit the industry overall. But it won't prevent murder. It will prevent. It'll, can't it, say that it, will. it will prevent some. Can't it will, it will prevent some because once it happens, you're not going to know what crimes didn't happen because it was passed, Rico. You can't extrapolate that number. If there's problems in a neighborhood already, there's going to be murder in that neighborhood, and there's going to be people that are uh, scratching for uh, for cash left and right. Pass safe it's banking already. There's nothing to do with safe banking. Yeah, maybe part of it is uh, where dispensaries have to be located. 
That is not it. That's no. a, it's a major part of it. Rico, I think you're right. Um, to some extent, I think we're still going to see a lot of these crimes uh, targeted um, robberies against cannabis businesses, even if St. Baking passes. Can you expand a little bit on that, Chris? I mean, as a former officer, um, we love your opinion. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think that folks are targeting cash, but they're also targeting product. Um, they also, I think, you know, because there's retail is not the only one that's being targeted. Uh, it's definitely the one that's being highlighted most. But, you know, there's a lot of different license types that are being targeted with these crimes. And, and I think that folks are also after the product. So um, just my opinion. All right. Well, let's keep smoking the news. Liz Rogan, here we go. This pinup girl isn't just your ordinary man cave wallpaper. She's an all-around data cruncher that's known for a thing or two about numbers and shit. An educator, a brand strategist, a healthcare consultant, and founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County. It's Liz Rogan. What do you have for us this morning, Liz? Good morning. Happy Monday, everyone, and thank you for that great intro, Jason. Um, my story today comes from ABC News. It's by Laura Strickler and Steve Patterson. The headline reads, states that legalize marijuana now researching mental health risks of high-potency cannabis. So in January, Dr. Nora Volkow, the director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse, raised concerns about teens using high-potency cannabis. She said, we are seeing a very significant rise in psychosis associated with the consumption of marijuana. And she said, the higher the content of THC, the higher the likelihood of a psychotic episode. She said that there's ongoing research looking into whether or not such psychotic episodes can lead to permanent schizophrenia. Dr. Beatrice Carlini, who's a research scientist at the University of Washington's Addiction, Drug, and Alcohol Institute, says, quote, that we, are in, we were not aware that we were voting on anything but the plant. Carlini has led the effort in Washington state to research high-potency cannabis and is now exploring policy options to limit access. Her team concluded in 2020 that, quote, high-potency cannabis can have lifelong mental health consequences, end quote. She says that concentrated product is just a totally different animal, likening it to strawberry icing as compared to strawberries. And she says the greater the potency of cannabis products, the greater the likelihood of adverse health effects. So Colorado residents, 19-year-old Jasmine Block and 18-year-old Will Brown, both had problematic use with wax and dabs. They now go to a special school for uh, recovering adolescents, and they say that a medical cannabis industry should focus more on educating minors about the potential negative effects. As national cannabis legalization is bounced around by lawmakers, in Colorado, emergency room doctors testified last year that they were seeing increasing cases of psychosis connected to cannabis concentrates, and a bill that curbed access to high-potency products passed the legislature unanimously. Part of the legislation required the University of Colorado's medical school to do a comprehensive review of over 800 scientific articles on the health impacts of high-potency THC. The report is due in July, but the dean of the Colorado School of Public Health, Dr. John Samet, said the lack of uniformity of methods and results makes it challenging to compare and pull any trends out. He said that he anticipates creating a public database of research to be updated in real time. In Washington state, concentrates have risen uh, from 9% in 2014 of the sales to 35% of total sales in 2020. So that prompted a scientific review that concluded that THC has a, quote, dose response. So the more THC consumed, the worse the negative effects. The research concluded that, quote, young people were particularly vulnerable to addiction and negative effects from high-potency cannabis, and that there is an urgent need for policy considerations and deliberations to support public health and well-being. 
The researchers are all working together in Washington and Colorado. The Washington researchers are exploring ways to access to reduce access to the products, looking at a cap on potency or a possible tax on potency levels. The product, they're also uh, looking at product warning labels like those used in Canada. That's a warning, quote, frequent and prolonged use of cannabis containing THC can contribute to mental health problems over time. Uh, part of this also says daily or near-daily use increases the risk of dependence and may bring on or worsen disorders related to anxiety and depression. Currently, Vermont is the only state with legal recreational cannabis that has a potency camp, uh, cap. Sorry, Efforts in South Dakota and Massachusetts have failed. Bethany Moore, who's a spokesperson for the National Cannabis Industry Association, said the best way to address these concerns is through proper testing and labeling, as well as ensuring cannabis products are sold to fully informed adults through licensed facilities and they're verifying their legal age for purchase. She says the cannabis industry as a whole pushes back against these efforts to cap potency concentrates and saying that there's a lot more data that's needed. Uh, there's scant clinical or epidemiological evidence to suggest significant or widespread risk associated with these products for the vast majority of consumers. So there's a lot of quotes and words in here, a little scary language. Um, so I think this is something that we really want to bring to the table, though. I think we know that, you know, cannabis is for adults, especially with adult use cannabis, as our favorite nanograms has in her book, uh, her book explaining cannabis use to children, that it's not for children. Brains are still developing, especially we know in young men, um, often the brain is not developed till 25. So I think the moral of this story is really that children shouldn't be using these high potency, uh, shouldn't be using cannabis. They shouldn't be using these high potency um, THC products, obviously, as they're still developing and growing and there's risks associated and that these products should be used by people who know how to use them in the right circumstance. So I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. This is Liz Rogan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Hi, Liz. Dr. Mary Clifton here. I think that the the studies are clear that people who have a potential uh, propensity, a, a, a leaning toward having a psychotic episode, tend to have a psychotic episode when they've been exposed to any drug, really, alcohol, cocaine, cannabis, can be a trigger to that first psychotic break. So anybody who is already hearing voices or seeing things or has a relative who is hearing voices or seeing things needs to be very careful with any uh, addictive substance. But the, the studies are all over the place. And I think that this situation is really ripe for, you know, somebody to look at uh, – 10,000 people who were admitted under one insurance company for their first psychotic break and take a really good look at how that psychotic break came about. And in the smaller studies that have been done with that technique, they really aren't finding the link between uh, cannabis and psychoses. But Iowa does a really good job of managing their high THC products that might be mirrored across the country. They allow high THC, but you have to be in the registered program for 30 days before you can apply for your THC waiver. So that way you've already tried the low potency, you've found that it's not working for you, and you can go to the high potency products, but it puts a limit on the high potency availability, at least theoretically, <laughs> you know, for Iowans. Thank you. I'm calling fake news on this story. Total, total fake news because of the fact that, uh, that cannabis is one of the most helpful things in in. in Re, in reconfiguring brain cells and whatnot, this is just, I'm not, I'm not buying any of this shit. I, I think that people are getting confused with the acute psychosis that can happen when you take too much TAC. You can hear and see things if you take too much TAC, but once it gets out of your system, you come back to normal. So I, I, I do agree with 
research and looking at the high-potency TAC strains with adults and see how it's affecting them, but I'm not ready yet to say there should be caps. Well, especially when you have, you know, people treating schizophrenia, chronic psychoses, and treating uh, major depressive episodes with cannabis combined with other things like ketamine. I mean, it's more of a treatment nowadays than it, that's very old and prohibitionist language to consider it the instigator rather than the treatment. Anecdotally, I, I, in my experience, I've seen people change that do concentrates and they want more and more and more and their personalities have changed. And I hate to say that, but I've seen it. And myself, I don't like doing concentrates. It doesn't make me feel extra high. You're not a stoner feel... like that, Susan. What do you mean? You're not I a stoner weed. like that. You're, you're, I... you're a grandma that smokes outdoor weed. You're not a concentrate consumer. The more, the <laughs> I'm more just saying what I've seen in yeah, other more... people. Right. The more you do concentrate, the, you know, the more your receptors kind of disappear on your cells and you require more and more and more. Um, you know, doc, Dr. Sulak is, is very known for saying you should probably take a break. Maybe once he takes a break like once a week and doesn't consume uh, so that you can reset your, your receptors. But if you're always the more and more you take, the more concentrated you take, the, your own receptors kind of disappear. and You have to keep getting more and more to get the same effect. What do you f- define as a break, doctor? It's all personal. We've got, uh, yay, Joanna Cedar's up a on the stage. A day without cannabis. So, yeah. So 24 uh, hours. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, hi, this is Joanna Cedar here. I was a high school teacher for 20 years, um, and I just wanted to say that the kids who normally have problems, they're self-medicating, and they're trying to deal with their problems, and and so, and if cannabis is available to them, that's what they'll take. And so really we need to educate them on what types of cannabis may be better for them if they are self-medicating and provide them with options for information, for guidance. Um, in the absence of that, they're going to try, they're going to get what they can get. And, um, and they're going to, and, and they're kids, so they're going to take more than they should. And so if we treat drug use like a monolith and that drugs are bad, just say no, um, turn in your parents. If we're going to do the drug war all over again on these kids, then we're not going to solve this problem. And then we're going to have people like Lynn Silver and the Public Health Institute, who is behind all this high THC, um, this high THC potency scare. We're going to have them take up all the noise in the room because because. These kids really need information. You know, a one-to-one in the morning is going to be better for them than a um, than an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety and is going to be better than pharmaceuticals. They know the pharmaceuticals are dangerous for them, but they don't have the information or the access to get the right cannabis products into their bodies. That's all I got to say. Christina... Oh, I, I want to give Christina a chance, and then we okay. probably should move on. So let's, uh, Christina, 20 seconds. Hello, everyone. I, I saw the title of this room, and I thought I had to jump in. I've been a cannabis advocate for many, many years, and I uh, actually suffered from a brain cyst um, many years ago, and I still do have that. But uh, 
I had a lot of pain. I had a lot of migraines and obviously mental anxiety that was associated with that. And I can't say enough about how cannabis helped me through my journey. But I do agree with um, whoever, the, I don't have my glasses on, the last speaker, a one-to-one, like I would operate during the day with high CBD and then also one-to-one and because that would get me through my day and I could still operate and function. But I also do feel, you know, not necessarily the higher doses are necessarily um, the best, depending on the individual. It just, I think this is all about, you know, finding out what's right for you, what doses are right for you. Obviously that takes some time and some trial and like tribulations going through all that. But um, I'm not, I I think if someone does have a propensity or has been diagnosed with schizophrenia, um, it just, I do not think that, you know, I have actually have a brother who has that. Um, the, the meds that they put him on years ago, I mean, it damaged him so much beyond, to be honest, repair. And so now we're using cannabis and um, it, I see a huge difference. So I think sometimes it's a complement to each other, whether it's pharma and cannabis or maybe, you know, as I said, the one-to-one I think is such a great uh, solution for so many people that are, you know, functioning during the day. And the high THC, Again, it depends on, you know, each individual is different and taking a break. Someone mentioned the risk, you know, your receptors. Yeah, they do develop a tolerance and, you know, to get full benefits of it. I think it's sometimes good to take that break. So I'm Christina Shea from DVD Skin well, thank you. Thank you all for that great conversation there. We should definitely get a room and uh, talk about it in uh, further length. Liz, appreciate you bringing that to the board with us. But up next, she's a strategist by day. Baker by night. You can call her traditional conservative or a feisty Pennsylvania bred redhead with Mayflower roots willing to spar with anyone across the aisle against the Safe Banking Act. She's the founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington Insider. Up next, Gretchen Gailey. What you got for us today, Gretchen? Good afternoon, Rico. Uh, My headline is coming from Marijuana Moment. Uh, Top Schumer aide talks next steps for marijuana legalization and cannabis banking reform. Uh, top staffer for Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer spoke on Thursday about the path forward for a federal marijuana legalization bill and the process prospects of passing incremental measures like cannabis banking reform in the interim. At an event hosted by the Council for Federal Cannabis Regulation, full disclaimer, I do work with them, Schumer's chief counsel, Reginald Babin, said that there's a bit more work to be done in terms of figuring out where the sweet spot is, at least in the Senate, in terms of what we can do this year. He said that finding the balance is, quote, work that we are currently undertaking uh, on the Senate side. A draft version of the CAOA was uh, released last summer. Uh, Babin said on this uh, webinar that they hosted uh, that it will hopefully be filed in the near future as they perfect the framework. First said a week ago, um, of course, that he was making a promise that this would be dropped before uh, August recess. Uh, When he was pressed further on the actual timing of it, Babin said, I would say it makes sense when it makes sense. Legislating is not a thing where you can identify a time on the calendar where it makes the most sense to do something. It's a never-ending process, but we are in constant conversation on a number of issues. We are having a number of conversations with a number of different paths forward and ultimately choosing the path that makes the most sense that helps most people in the immediate. Uh, When they brought up Uh, The question about broader debate over incremental versus comprehensive reform, uh, specifically safe banking and its attachment to the Competes Act, uh, Babin said that the American Competes Act will have significant ramifications across a number of sectors and that there are a number of moving parts that probably exceed my capacity to articulate. Uh, We have to account for all those moving parts. 
And he said, well, it's important that congressional leaders like House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senator Patty Murray, uh, the third ranking Democrat in the Senate, have made a point to push for safe banking in the broader legislation. Uh, Babin said that it's equally important to account for the fact that Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has zeroed in on the banking provision as a prime example of a policy he would resist being attached to broad legislation. Uh, Babin said, it's too early to tell what the outcome is going to be given all the myriad of factors that are going to come into play from now until whenever that bill hopefully is reported at a conference and voted on in the Senate. Uh, There was a staffer for Representative Dave Joyce, uh, who is co-chair of the Congressional Cannabis Caucus, who also participated in the event. And she said that she's personally optimistic that safe banking does have a path forward as negotiators head to conference on the broader manufacturing bill. Uh, She did add that it does have broad and bipartisan support, unlike any other legislation. Uh, She said at the end of the day, what we're all trying to do here is get as much done as possible. And so I think that will still be the state of play in both chambers. Uh, With respect to safe banking, she said we're trying to get as much done as possible without completely unwinding the whole strategy. Uh, In my mind, uh, what Reggie Babin uh, was saying is uh, Schumer is going to try and take competes out. He's going to say it's because of Mitch McConnell, and that's why he's taking safe out. Um, Mitch McConnell is not going to kill the Capetes Act because of safe banking. So it's all bullshit. Uh, But I do see that Schumer is going to put safe banking on the back burner until he can get his out. Um, And it even looks like Babin might be suggesting that it's not going to be ready by August recess. Uh, This is Gretchen for State of Kansas News Hour. Jason, you don't want to say it? Pass safe banking already. Wah, 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 wah. Haters gonna hate because that's what haters do. Ugh, Washington D.C. Oh my God! Come on, we need another party. You're never gonna have another party that's just totally ridiculous. It's never gonna happen. It's not even, not even. There's zero reality of that. That come on, Jason. You can't say that. I'm hundred percent. Yes, I well, can. It's pretty true. If, um, if, if, if there's two parties going on and both of them are lame as fuck, why would you not just stay the fuck home, Jason? Watch out for that green method man's party, cannabis party coming on in. Red man, red I, I, man. I'm red sorry man. to say it is, it, is, it is a pipe dream that you guys are talking about right now. Stay uh, your ass at home. Okay, okay. I would say, frankly, with the National Cannabis Party, I do like it from the perspective of a tea party of a marketing initiative to get the word out. Uh, Jason, that was fully correct that it is not going to have any impact uh, whatsoever. Um, actually with a member ever in Congress. Uh, but 100%. I think they could have great impact of raising money um, and pushing uh, the discussion forward and having a say when it comes to legislation, if they're able to support candidates um, that are pushing their message. It's for the people. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. Well, all right. We're going to Priscilla next, right? I don't see her yet. Let's keep going in order till she gets up. All right. Well, let me go back. Give me one second. All right. Coming up next to the stage, she's the CMO of the award-winning tech platform Event High and co-host of the groundbreaking woman-focused Blunt Brunch event taking us today. It's Adelia Carrillo. 
Good morning, everyone. Today's article is Nepal's Cannabis Resurgence Seeks Return to Himalayan High Times. So did you know half a century ago, thousands of backpackers from around the world made their way to Kathmandu to buy potent hash strains from government licensed stores on Freak Street, a lane named for long-haired foreign visitors. However, in 1973, Washington's global war on drugs and its pressure on foreign governments uh, prompt the closure of the capital's dispensaries along with a cultivation ban that actually forced many farmers to rip up their cannabis plants. Now, with Western countries easing their own cannabis uh, prohibitions, the government and legal reform campaigners say it's time to start criminal to start decriminalizing cannabis, which they see as a potent cash crop with century-old ties to the country's culture and religious practices. Now, uh, it is quoted that it's, uh, it is not justifiably that a poor country like ours has to treat cannabis as a drug. Our people are being punished and our, corporation increase, or our corruption increases because of smuggling as we follow decisions of developed countries that are now doing as they please, said Nepal's health minister, Birod. Tiwada told AFP. Uh, Barod sponsored Nepal's first parliament motion uh, advocating an end to the ban in January 2020. Now, two bills, uh, two months later, a bill was put to lawmakers uh, seeking partial legalization. However, uh, since then, in the government, it has stalled. But there has been a few updates. In December 2022, Nepal backed a successful campaign to have the United Nations reclassify cannabis from its list of world's most harmful drugs. And also, Nepal's home ministry launched a study in the medicinal properties and export potential of marijuana that is expected to support a revived parliamentary push to end the ban. Now, Rajiv, a prominent activist who lives with HIV and began campaigning for legalization after using the drug to treat his his symptoms, said ending the ban would be an important booster to Nepal's tourism industry, which is still reeling from COVID pandemic and would also benefit uh, Nepalese suffering from chronic illnesses. Now, while the, uh, the current law allows for medicinal cannabis, there's actually no established framework for therapeutic use, and the government still is enforcing a blanket ban on consumption and trafficking. So what does this actually mean? Uh, tourists visiting Nepal's uh, back yeah, tourists visiting Nepal's um, backpackers are unlikely to encounter for lighting up a joint in Kathmandu back alley. Authorities also are looking the other way during an annual festival held to honor the Hindu deity Shiva, the destroyer of evil, who is regularly depicted clasping a chulam pipe used to smoke cannabis. But everywhere else, penalties are still very harsh, regularly enforced, and cannabis dealers can risk up to 10 years of jail time. Now, in California, dispensaries sell Himalayan gold, a strain that originated from Nepal and calls to mind the country's historic associations with cannabis culture. And a rejuvenated cannabis trade tailored to um, export demand and cashing in on Nepal's existing international brand value could be highly lucrative, said Barry uh, Balik, a doctor working at a cannabis research center at Kathmandu University. So with that being said, do you think we will soon see Nepal take advantage of this international brand value uh, with cannabis? This is Adelia, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I love this story, Adelia. I think this is so great because I think that this brings so many important genetics, um, the biodiversity that we need, and hopefully bringing them some money and fame, <laughs> some notoriety. So thank you. This was great. Yeah, thank you for this story. Uh, you got to love how this country loves to export their war on drugs to other 
<laughs> cultures destroying their plant medicine too. America. Fuck yeah. Hey, what about that Nepalese OG? And they've got some good, good cannabinoids and terpenes. Uh, I'm not buying none of that. That shit's all boof out there. The boof. You said the boof. Boof. You gonna need a boof vest? That's right. The boof. The boof. It's it's and anyone that tries to say other words, I'm just gonna say nah, please. Let's keep smoking the news. <laughs> Let's. <laughs> She's an original breeder with a golden blonde. Internationally recognized as one of the dopest mamas in the game and voted as one of the top 25 women in cannabis making history. And she is the CEO of the award-winning Original Breeders League and bringing it back, back to Cali, Cali. Priscilla Agoncillo, what you got for us today? Thank you so much, Rico. So my story is pretty groundbreaking. And uh, the title of it is The President's Son Suggests Cannabis Legalization in Nicaragua. So, as we know, there has been much turmoil uh, in that region, specifically Nicaragua. And in this unique and unprecedented piece of cannabis legalization history, one of Ortega's sons, Ortega is a current president of Nicaragua, has now announced that the normalization of cannabis should be discussed at their federal level. So there's many ironies to the story uh, beyond the father-son theme. Both sides of, uh, of the war in El Salvador and Nicaragua were accused of illegal drug running to raise cash to fund what was in, effort, uh, what was in effect a regional civil war. Um, the Russians may have not so covertly funded Ortega, but nobody in um, the Soviet nosebleed uh, political levels got called on a congressional carpet for corrupt and criminal behavior of the drugs or swapping drugs for arms. So cannabis legalization is now to erupt not only um, in Nicaragua, but also in, in Honduras, as we uh, as it was announced uh, this week. It really does speak volumes about where the international direction of the drug war is headed. Um, this climate and uh, this cl- the climate of this region um, is can be anyway really great for cannabis, uh, but it's also the the region is also very concerned um, for any uh, other detriments to the natural environment, such as the rapidly disappearing. Um, Rainforests, uh, rainforests, or the biodiverse places, uh, all over um, that region, uh, because they're really going to be relying on outdoor cultivation. Um, it was already discussed in both Honduras and Nicaragua, um, but again, there are major concerns of ray, uh, additional rainforest preservation, um, and, and that's something that they are are discussing. So in Nicaragua, both uh, Juan Carlos Ortega Murillo plus the son of Vice President Rosario Murillo have publicly claimed that their version of legalization would have to include provisions for the welfare of citizens. So that is, um, you know, what that suggests is that the the government believes that a fully regulated industry is totally possible in the first place. Uh, So that's some positive uh, things um, moving in that country and and in that direction for um, the state of cannabis uh, globally. They're hoping to become um, self-sufficient. Another point that they were concerned about was that cannabis would overtake more important crops for the sake of security of the country, mainly um, food cultivation, uh, food sovereignty 
sovereignty is an important mantra of the government there and here, as it may well become in other places, as in the war, as for example, um, the war in Ukraine raises global prices on grain and certain kinds of cooking oil. So these are really difficult questions in part of the world where such deeply seated economic problems cannot be answered so simply and lightly. And while the discussion has taken other forms in North America and not entirely absent from the debate in the U.S. or Canada either, it really starts with the level of energy required to keep indoor cannabis farms going, as well as water in certain states, starting with California. So there's a lot of infrastructure that they have to consider, but overall, this is a positive um, positive movement in the direction uh, for cannabis worldwide, and I'm looking forward to continuing to follow this story and update everyone on the State of Cannabis News Hour. Thank you, Priscilla. It just, it makes me so sad to think that rainforests might be cut down to grow cannabis when we've got our farmers in California sitting on pounds of weed that they can't sell. Just doesn't make any sense. You know, I, 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 they, they made a really big point of that. And in all honesty, uh, you know, cutting down rainforests to make uh, open fields for cannabis just doesn't really make that much sense. Um, you know, there's other uh, the ideal uh, area is a definite f- flat. If you're going outdoor, is flat lands and you know vast amounts of it. But I, you know, to cut down rainforest, I just don't think it's actually feasible, and they would actually do that just for cannabis. And besides, they might just simply replace some other crop that's not as productive with the cannabis with using fields that are already prepared. Right? They don't have to actually cut down virgin forest. Exactly. Just replace some of the corn or whatever. Yeah, I think that's going to be more of the threat there is, you know, everyone's going to end up growing cannabis instead of food, uh, which is incredibly important for the stability um, uh, of the country there. Well, as we know, there's a lot of entheogenic medicines that we find in the rainforest and other things, and we definitely don't want deforestation for cannabis. I think sustainability is what we all want. Yeah, I'm not for the deforestation of the rainforest. Um, but nonetheless, we do have to move on to the next story. And is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's a delivery van with a delivery smoother than DHL and a price point lower than FedEx. That's right. It's Clark Kent Delivery. Coming next to the stage is Christopher Smith. He's the communication strategist and publisher of the American Cannabis Report. What do you have this morning for us, Clark? I mean, oh, no. Christopher, wink, wink. Oh, no, now I'm the mailman. Good morning, Jason. Thank you. Good morning, Susan Rico. My story is from bestlife.com. In case of mild sickness, your pharmacy often has everything you need to put back on the path to wellness, but experts warn that convenience can come with consequences. In particular, one, partic- one popular medication has been linked to roughly half of all cases of acute liver failure in the U.S., a fact that's prompting experts to sound the alarm again about its safety. Now, you might almost be tempted to think, since we're on the state of Cannabis News Hour, that the liver-damaging substance in question is CBD, because there are all sorts of warnings out there about how CBD has been identified as causing liver damage. I am personally quite convinced that those claims are false, but many sources are reporting on this problem. The FDA-approved over-the-counter drug you don't need a prescription for, which is the mo- one of the most commonly used medications in the United States with more than 25 billion doses a year sold, has been linked to just over half the case of liver failure in America is Tylenol. 
The chemical in Tylenol is acetaminophen. The Mayo Clinic says taking too much acetaminophen is the most common cause of acute liver failure in the United States. Acute liver failure can occur after one very large dose or after higher than recommended doses every day for several days. The recommended oral dose is 660 to 1,000 milligrams every four to six hours, but should not exceed exceed three grams per day says the National Library of Medicine. A 2004 study published in the journal, of, the journal called Hepatology reports that acetaminophen-based drugs like Tylenol account for over 100,000 calls to poison centers, 60,000 emergency room visits, 2,500 longer-term hospital stays, and hundreds of deaths in the U.S. each year. But hey, it doesn't have to be that bad. Normal side effects of the drug only include nausea, stomach pain, loss of appetite, headache, yellowing of the skin or eyes, or dark urine. But everyone relax. The FDA is on the case. In August of uh, 2013, FDA issued a drug safety communication informing the public that use of acetaminophen has been associated with a risk of rare but serious skin reaction. Not liver disease, not overdose, not death skin reaction. And to show they're serious, they added the following language. In general, FDA's guidance documents do not establish legally enforcing enforceable responsibilities. Instead, guidances describe the agency's current thinking on a topic and should be viewed only as recommendations. Unless specific regulatory or statutory requirements are cited, the use of the word should in agency guidances means that something is suggested or recommended but not required, which is bureaucratic language for pretty please. And here's some more politeness from the FDA. In 2015, the agency unveiled amended guidance on liver warnings that must be contained in labels of some over-the-counter drugs containing acetaminophen, saying it will allow manufacturers in some cases to warn patients against taking too much. A lot more pre-pleased there. FDA says it does not intend to object if a manufacturer chooses to use the following language on their drug labeling. This product contains acetaminophen. Severe liver damage may occur if you take more than 4,000 milligrams of acetaminophen in 24 hours with three or more alcoholic drinks every day while using this product. So I'd be curious if any of our manufacturers have received pretty please guidance from the FDA for cannabinoids that have not killed hundreds of Americans every year. In fact, have not killed a single person by overdose in 12,000 years. And I'm done speaking. Way to call it out, Christopher. I also want to say that there is a very uh, big class action lawsuit for Tylenol being found to cause birth defects, which, you know, if you know, if you've been pregnant or know anyone who's been pregnant, that's pretty much your only option uh, to, to manage, you know, any type of pain. They recommend Tylenol. So interesting. And this is something that they give to children, you know, children's Tylenol and stuff. So children's think- Tylenol. It's different than Tylenol. Children's Tylenol. It's just a lower dose, I think. It's just, it's just a lower dose. The world doesn't make sense to me anymore. Let's keep smoking the news. Les. He's a former elite athlete with a past affiliation with the boys in blue. But this fellow dope dad traded in a gun and a badge for a blunt and a notepad, becoming the State of Cannabis NewsHour's go-to guy for law enforcement stories from an insider's point of view. Now a security consultant at CC Security Solutions. Coming to the stage next is Chris Eggers, what you got for us today, my man? 
Rico, good morning. Good morning to everyone else. I'm uh, <clears throat> battling a cold, but that intro got me going. Really appreciate it. My headline today comes out of Yellowstone County, Montana. Headline reads, Recreational Marijuana Supporters Rally at Yellowstone County Courthouse. Marijuana is legal in Yellowstone County, but in June, voters decided whether to continue to allow recreational sales. Around 30 <laughs> pot supporters gathered on the Yellowstone County Courthouse lawn Saturday, hope to send a message. Over the last two months, the county and city have collected over a quarter million dollars in cannabis tax, said Zach Shop, president of Better Montana. Better Montana, sorry, Better for Montana is a ballot issue committee determined to end the marijuana prohibition. The organization hosted speakers in an effort to keep recreational marijuana legal in the county. Among the speakers was Montana State Representative uh, Jessica Karjala. A Billings Democrat. She's represented District 48 since 2015. Initiative 190 legalized the possession and use of marijuana for anyone 20 years older in the state. 21 years older in the state, my apologies. It was approved in November 2020 with nearly 60% support statewide. In Yellowstone County, the majority barely favored it with 50.7% and 49.3% against it. During the 2021 legislative session, Majority Republicans passed a bill giving local governments the right to hold a second election to determine whether to allow recreational marijuana sales as outlined in I-190. Yellowstone County commissioners voted to do just that. And after voters in the city of Billings rejected the recreational sales of uh, cannabis in November 2021. Many speakers focused on how the industry has created jobs for Yellowstone County residents as well as tax revenues uh, that recreational marijuana brings. An estimated 600 county residents work in the industry. But Steve Zabawa is a former uh, is the founder of Safe Montana Coalition Against Recreational Marijuana in Montana. "Quote: Do we want drug pushers on our corners? They're just in it for the money. There's nothing good about recreational marijuana from a health perspective," he said. He's concerned with how the use of marijuana has increased since it's been legalized, as well as just how much money the industry actually does bring in. He said again, in March, they brought in $54,000 to Yellowstone County. So how do they stretch that from 54000 to $10 million bucks on their sign? That's their pitch. That's the only thing they can say. <clears throat> both sides, however, agreed one thing, go out and vote. But both sides are concerned with the safety when it comes to recreational marijuana, even if it's from different standpoints. Shop said, we want to make sure that the product going out there is safe and people are going to consume it either way. I thought this was pretty interesting because like, apparently now they're voting to see if they can still maintain these recreational sales uh, or adult use sales. I thought this was an interesting article coming out of Yellowstone County. Curious if anyone in the audience is from Montana can speak on this. My name is Chris Eggers. Thank you for allowing me to report. I'm on State of Cannabis News Hour. Very interesting shit coming out of Montana, surprisingly. I thought there was only like 17 people in the state. Well, I think there's 18 well, now. 30. Did you just pop open a pre-roll, Rico? <laughs> you caught me on the dude too. <laughs> Tube tube time. <laughs> Let's keep smoking the news. Let's. All right. One visit to this office is sure to get you access to all kinds of blue pills. All shapes, sizes, and colors are always included and welcome in this safe space. She's the Plants for Life CEO and dual barred board certified physician, always promoting cannabis as medicine. And if you play your cards right, she will mix some yellow ones with your blue ones to make a greener experience. Coming next to the stage is Dr. Felicia Dawson. What kind of medicine do you have for us today, doctor? Well, thank you so much, Jason, for that colorful intro. Uh, Happy Monday, everyone. My headline comes from NBC News. Frequent marijuana smoking linked to higher risk of heart attack, study suggests. And this was written by, 
I'm having trouble finding, oh, Aria Bendix. Okay, so there is a study that says smoking marijuana at least once a month is linked to an elevated risk of heart attack, according to this study. So in the United Kingdom, there's this cohort called Biobank Study, and they looked at individuals between 2000 and 2016. Now, medical cannabis was not legal in the UK until 2018. Of 160,000 people, they asked them if they used cannabis or not. In those who did not use cannabis, they had a premature myocardial rate or premature heart attack rate of those 50 years and under of 0.45%. That's less than 1%. The people who did cannabis more than once a month had a rate of 0.53% of premature heart attacks. Now, this may be statistically significant, but I can tell you clinically it is not significant. Both uh, classes is less than 1% of premature heart attacks. This study then goes on to do little experiments to try to back up what they found in the retrospective review of those patients that I just talked about. They had 20 individuals who were quote-unquote recreational marijuana smokers consume a marijuana cigarette in 15 minutes, then drew their blood every 15 minutes for three hours. They saw a rise in TAC. They also saw multiple inflammatory cytokines increase in these uh, individuals. Next, they used synthetic TAC isolate on some human endothelial cells or human cells that line the blood vessels as well as human heart cells. The synthetic TAC isolate had no effect on the heart cells, but it did cause toxic effects on the cells that line the blood vessel. The next experiment they did was to do a mouse model um, on 12 weeks, and they also used a CB1 blocker, genistein, which is a soybean um, component. And those mice that received the TAC without the genistein showed damage to their um, heart, but those who received genistein did not. And this is after 12 weeks. So the bottom line is that this retrospective study that is the bulk of where this comes from did not control for tobacco. Um, There's nothing in the study that talks about what was in those marijuana cigarettes. I'm having trouble understanding how they said that TAC alone is the cause for the dysfunction in the cells lining the blood vessels when smoking by itself produces 2,000 toxins. And last but not least, the researcher ends the story saying that he believes that TAC is not anti-inflammatory. We think it's pro-inflammatory. So this researcher is kind of clueless about what cannabinoids can and cannot do. So for me, this is a clinically insignificant research study. But I do, I do like that they show that inflammatory um, cytokines do are generated when you smoke. Um, so that, that is the, the only thing that really I think is valid in this study. I'm Dr. Felicia Dawson reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Thank you so much for your analysis on that story. The study keeps popping up, and I say pass the re- cannabis research bill. But we've reached the top of the hour. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave us a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that come through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need 
need to know. A big thank you to Rico and and Jason for co-producing the show and our pinup girl, Liz Rogan. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. Your addition to our show makes the State of Cannabis News Hour news you can trust. And we are doing our very first State of Cannabis News Hour interview today at 4 p.m. Pacific. We're interviewing Tim and Taylor Blake. Behind the scenes, look at the Emerald Cup Award Show. So please join us later today at 4 p.m. You've been tuned in to the Food Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye.